0: I create content because there's people out there who need the help. If you imagine you're on like a boat and you see somebody drowning, they need your help. Would you ever tell that person who you could literally just reach over and go, you know, hey, I'd love to help you, but I'm not, you know, an extrovert. (laughs) No, you wouldn't say that. (laughs) Or, hey, I'd love to help you, but I've never done this before, right? Or, hey, I'd love to help you, but I'm gonna wait till my audience is a little bigger. You help that person because they're there.
1: To the Future podcast, a show that explores the interesting overlap between design, marketing, and business. I'm Greg Gunn. Everyone has a plan till they get punched in the mouth. I love that quote from Mike Tyson. It encapsulates life so perfectly well. You can do everything right, even go above and beyond, and still be a fantastic failure. But as they like to say, failure is inevitable. It's what you do with it that really matters. Our guest today is an acclaimed podcaster, author, entrepreneur, and Pokemon card collector. Yes, I just said Pokemon. And growing up, he did everything right. Got the perfect grades, the perfect dream job, and then was laid off. But that crushing defeat was the catalyst to his success to come. You could even say that getting laid off was the best thing that ever happened to him. Now, you might already listen to his show, Smart Passive Income, or have you even read his book, Super fans, but if you're not familiar with his work, then you, my friend, are in for a real treat. I'm super excited to finally have him on our show, so without any further delay, please enjoy our conversation with Pat Flynn
2: okay, so first up, I want to say thanks for doing this. I've known about you for a really long time. I can't remember how many people in the over the past several years who have mentioned have you do you know about Pat Flynn? have you checked out I'm like God I can't escape Pat. He's like everywhere. (laughs) I'm sorry. You know, and it's one of those things where I don't know why, but then I feel like maybe I'm not ready to have a conversation with you yet, you know, because your name and your reputation precedes you, that kind of thing. And Mm. it's just so wonderful and how the internet works these days that somebody in our mutual tribes can say, it would be great if you got Pat. And so that was just the nudge that I needed to take in order to reach out. And you, you responded like that. And I really appreciate you for doing that.
0: Oh, my pleasure. And I appreciate your tribe as well for hooking us up. And, you know, I feel the same way. You know, you have this amazing audience and you have this reputation as well. And I'm I'm a little bit nervous, too. So why, why don't we get the nerves out of the way, both of us? <laughs> we could just like have a chat, Chris, because honestly, uh, I, I was a little bit intimidated as well. But I, I think this will be a lot of fun.
2: OK, so this is the first time where there's mutual nerves and it could make for the best episode ever or it could be a total train wreck. You or never could know. You,
0: exactly. It could be super you just don't weird.
2: know. I love that part. OK, so we're going to do things a little bit differently. But before we do that, I just wanted to ask you to introduce yourself. Tell people who don't know who you are, what it is that you do.
0: Sure. So my name is Pat Flynn. I live out of San Diego. Uh, First and foremost, I'm a husband and a father of two here. And I'm just very grateful because I have several different businesses, but many of those businesses are running away that allows me to still have time with my family. And this was started actually in 2008. I got laid off from my architecture job, thought I was going to be an architect for the rest of my life. But Uh, With the Great Recession, I got let go and I discovered my way into online marketing and business. And I uh, first started out by helping people pass an architecture exam. Actually, it was a very niche exam. It's called the Lead Exam. And that business that I started changed my life. It taught me that I could help people online. It also gave me a lot of... um, Something different, in fact, was I got a lot of recognition, actually, from helping people pass this little exam versus doing so much in architecture. I mean, I have my fingerprint on many buildings and and restaurants and and, and even some casinos in Vegas wow. that I helped design, but nobody will ever know that, right? And here I am helping people pass a little exam, and people are like, Pat, thank you. You, you helped me get a promotion. You helped me pass this exam that I was struggling with for so long. And it really taught me a lot about if I could just show up and serve other people, like great things can happen. And, and, and definitely that, that has been the case. And I started showing up in different ways, not just helping people pass an architecture exam, but many people wanted to know how I did that. So I built smartpassiveincome.com, where most people know me from now, which then now has a podcast, I've written books, I've, I've been on different stages around the world. Um, with the goal of really helping people achieve uh, a, a lifestyle that both includes businesses that can be built in a way that can also allow them to spend time doing other things in their lives. Because I also know a lot of business owners who are doing very well on paper, but they're also not very happy. They're also overwhelmed and busy. And it's about that balance, um, that balancing so that we can sort of have uh, both business and life sort of work together to uh, live that fulfilled life and, and also help and serve others at the same time. Um, and then here we are today talking about it, which is amazing. I get to connect with such great people as a result of the show. That's been my favorite thing about podcasting, actually.
2: And that really comes through in the content that you put out there. I recently read your book, uh, Superfans, right here. And Thank you. you talk about this, and it feels like as I read the pages, that personality, that, that genuine desire to help people uh, achieve similar things that you've been able to achieve, I, I think it comes through the entire book from cover to cover. Thank now, you. It's interesting, as an architect, you did a pretty hard flip. Uh, This is a pretty uh, sharp U-turn from um, the career that you were on into something totally different. We're going to spend some time talking about that. But before we do, I just wanted to know, like, what were you like as a kid? Relevant to what prepared you as a child to be able to turn that quickly? The truth
0: is, I don't think if I was the same way I was as a child when this happened, that I would have turned around so quickly because I grew up in a house where I, everything had to be perfect, right? My whole life was laid out in front of me, get good grades, go to a great college, graduate. I graduated with magna cum laude, 4.0 in high school. I got the perfect job. I was doing way more than I was supposed to. If it wasn't for getting laid off, I think that was the moment. The, the moment, despite doing everything the way I was supposed to, still getting it taken away from me that was the thing for me to go, wait a second. Like, is this really the path I should be on? What happened here? Because I did everything you told me to. you, society, you, my parents, you, school, right. whatever. And yet I still got let go. and that that was a heart. it wasn't like, okay now I'm gonna be an entrepreneur. It didn't it didn't flip right away. It was just more of like introspective having conversations with myself and others about, well, what really is my next move? What should I do? People like my dad, very much traditional going, oh, well, now's the time to go back to get your master's degree, which he was right. I could have done that. But I'm very grateful because at this time I discovered podcasts and it was a podcast that showed me there were other ways. And that's the thing I didn't have. I didn't have the openness to other options because I had my my life set sort of, you know, in elementary school, I kind of knew where I wanted to go. Um, as a kid, I was very much trying to be perfect all the time. I remember coming home from school with a 97% of my test and- my dad going, okay, so what happened to the other 3%? And then working for four hours on those problems I got wrong, not really appreciating what I had done right. So um, that was hard for me to get over while be, being an entrepreneur because as an entrepreneur, I've come to learn that failure is a part of the process. And if you're not willing to fail, you're not willing to learn. And so th- that was something that uh, had to come in many different phases over the time of, of being an entrepreneur. Um, as a kid, I was also very introverted, very, very shy, always, always, in the back of the classroom, never raising his hand, um, because I was too afraid of what other people would think. And um, also I was very short, um, and so I got picked on a lot in school. I was uh, sort of the shortest kid in the entire class, and this is why I found refuge in the marching band, because in the marching band, you're supposed to blend in with everybody, right? You wear the same uniform, you play the same song, you don't, you, don't, you can't pick out anybody, and although you could still pick me out because I was the shortest kid, um, it wasn't about me. It was about just the music and the group, and so that's where I found my nerdy friends, and and I got a lot of you know my buddies from 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 music and college, uh, as well. Um, but I, because I was picked on, I was very worried about doing anything different, and I wanted to do I, I wanted to do things that wouldn't have me be noticed. Um, but unfortunately, when you are trying to build a business and be an entrepreneur, um, if you're trying to blend in, you're doing it wrong. So again, another thing I had to sort of battle, and it was really just putting myself in the deep end and really having no ability to go back into architecture. Like I literally, even though I was still building my business, I was still going in to get job interviews and put my resume out there. Cause I didn't believe that I could do, I didn't think this was the right path for me. Another thing I was thinking about was, well, my parents paid my way through college to be an architect. So they didn't pay me to be an entrepreneur. So am I letting them down as a result of trying this new path and, man, it was just so many things happening in the mind about, um, about what happened. And, uh, yeah. So again, the layoff was the trigger because that made me start, it it was almost like I got unplugged from the matrix at that time. And I got Mm. to like, see how things really were because this whole time I was plugged in and just like in this world that everybody sort of like built around me that I was supposed to be a part of.
2: Right. It's like, uh, you thought you were eating a steak and it's just like, Zeros and ones. Yeah, right. And, it's and just like could see it for the first time. Right. Okay, there's a lot here I want to try to unpack. I connect with so much of what you're saying as, as a first generation Asian American immigrant, uh, traditional parents saying, this is the career path for you. You mm-hmm. know, an A is okay. Like, why not an A plus? So when you're like, <laughs> what happened to the other 3%? That, that really hit. The fact that you you didn't quite fit in until you found band camp or the marching band. And that was just like, okay, high school is a difficult time for, or junior high too. It's a difficult time for yeah. a lot of us. But if you're not in an alpha pack, the, 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 the cool kids, it is a rough existence. And I was just sitting here thinking to myself, I can't wait for this to be over if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. And hearing your story, this is really kind of shocking in how much there's similarity, but there are obviously some differences too. Because you tried and you did do exactly the plan. You graduate top class, you, you go to architectural school, you're doing all the right things. So most people, when they're hit with this drastic change in their life, they fold. They revert into some other version, but you emerge stronger and better and probably is one of the best things that ever happened to you. I'm still trying to figure out how marching band Pat becomes SPI entrepreneur. Like, yeah, where is that? <laughs> like, you know, did you talk to your parents like when when you got uh, when you got laid off?
0: I, I did and and I was very afraid of that conversation yeah. because I thought I, I, like I started to have feelings when I got laid off it, I know it wasn't my fault yet I started to believe it was oh, okay. what if I what if I worked harder? What, maybe I chose the wrong career why why um, you know w- why not that person? why me? you know all these things that were not about the future but more about like the past and what happened and it is interesting because around this time, the only thing that made me feel better, was watching Back to the Future, which is my favorite movie of all time. Like, you can even see behind me, there's, like, a hoverboard, literally. literally. Um, And I love that movie because every time I watched it for the hour and 56 minutes, I believed that maybe there would be a time machine that I could travel into, you know, and change things or do things differently. But after the hour and 56 minutes, it was always back to reality. But then I started to think about the story itself and how Marty goes back into the past, literally changes a couple things and then the whole entire future is different. Like it's a completely different timeline. And so eventually after, I don't know, 50 viewings of this movie during that time, um, I started to realize that I'm writing my story right now and I get to choose where this story goes. And the way I was behaving, the way I was thinking thinking about the past was going down a deep, dark hole. And I, that's not where I wanted to end up. I had actually just proposed to my girlfriend and we were supposed to get married. So we both moved back in with our parents. So I was living at home. I was going backwards and for somebody who is 4.0 and who wanted to get this incredible job living back with their parents I love my parents by the way but this was working backwards right so it was it was very difficult but you know the, the interesting thing is like the one time in my life where I felt like I was able to take charge and change things was actually in marching band because my high school band director went to Cal and he inspired me to apply to go to UC Berkeley at Cal I went to Cal I joined the marching band and I was actually so obsessed with the marching band that I had, I, I, uh, my junior year, I was up for student director my senior year and I lost by one vote. And I was so devastated by that, that I said, you know what, I'm going to bend the rules a little bit. I'm going to take one additional course my fifth year, landscape architecture. I didn't have to, I could have graduated, but I took one additional course to stay qualified to do the band one more time. I tried again to student director the fifth year. I got I got it by a landslide and it was a life-changing year for me. Partly because, yeah, I figured out a way to make it work, even though it was not normally how it should have been done, which this is the first time I'm actually making that connection, by the way. So thank you, Chris. But secondly, it was that fifth year of college when I was a student director that I got access to a private dinner with the other leaders in the band with one of the graduates from Cal who had influence in the world of architecture. He introduced me to somebody who got my first job as a result of, getting to go to that dinner, and I wouldn't have gone to that dinner if I didn't say, no, I want student director, so how can I still make it happen, and I found a little loophole in the constitution of the band where I could I could do it again as long as I was taking a class, so it was sort of like, um, I think it was Matt Lineart from USC who took one ballet class his fifth year just to be quarterback, I did these essentially the same thing, um, but yeah, that that's where it was like no, no, no. I'm not going to do what everybody else said. I was, but I'm going to find a way to make this work because I want it that bad. And when I got laid off, obviously things weren't happening the way they were. Actually, I tried to get back into architecture and I said, you know what, what actually matters to me here? I need to build a life that allows me to support my family and I need to take control. So I have to be an entrepreneur because that allows me to then determine my future. There's no more ceiling and I get to kind of choose what happens. And if I fail, it's because of my own fault not because of some external factor or whatever. And yeah, this is the
2: first time I'm sort of making that Mm. connection. So I appreciate that. That is is nuts. That is nuts because I couldn't wait to finish school in every form that I got into. Uh, Even in college, (laughs) I just wanted to be done with it. And here you are, a little bit psycho, I have to say, that you want to become the band director and you're going to put yourself through another year, another year of tuition, another year of on- whatever on campus activities just so that you can get the votes that you needed to become director and that obviously changes the course of your life but that is some level of intense focus there and now now i start to see you i see you as a hyper driven person that when you set your mind to something one way or the other you're gonna figure it out dude my my wife would agree with you on that one that's
0: that's for sure
2: (laughs) Why do you say uh, that? That?
0: That, can be, that can be both a good thing and a bad thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like, when I get into something, nothing else matters, right? Like, I mean, still things matter. Like, I don't just, like, put myself in a hole and my family doesn't see me for years. But case in point, during the pandemic, I got really, really into a hobby, um, collecting Pokemon cards, right? Uh, so much so that I now have a YouTube channel called Deep Pocket Monster that just launched last month. Now it's 7,000 subscribers because I'm going all in on it, right? <laughs> now, <laughs> I will say that I like this This is the way I work. So, you know, you've heard of The One Thing, right? A great book by uh, Gary Keller, Jay Papasan. Like, only work on one thing. That's how you have full focus. But for me, and I know for a lot of other people, especially entrepreneurs, like you have to have like another thing to scratch that itch or else it just feels like you're not fulfilled. So for me, I, I implore what's called the 20% itch rule, which I – dedicate 80% of my time to the things I've already said yes to my responsibilities, my team, you know, all the businesses I already have that's there, but I allow myself 20% of my time to play, to experiment, to have fun. Even if it fails, it's okay. Cause I'm still taking care of the 80% where people run into trouble is I'm just going to like focus on everything at the same time. But so I try to create a container, a little bit of space for me to try something new. A couple of years ago, my something new in that 20% was this invention called a SwitchPod. I had built a physical product called a SwitchPod with my partner Caleb, and we had no business doing that. But it was the itch I wanted to scratch, and now as a result, this product you know, is going wild, and it's helping serve a lot of the vlogging and YouTube community. Now, with extra time, because those things are taken care of, my team is working on a lot of the other stuff. I have this extra time to go all in on pieces of cardboard that are very expensive with these little characters on them from Japan. And it's like crazy because I'm having so much fun with it and I'm putting a lot of my entrepreneurial spin on it and I'm making some noise in that space now to a point where I'm now a mod in a lot of Poke YouTubers live streams. I'm getting invited on Pokemon podcasts to talk about my collection i wasn't even into this like eight months ago but because i have that hyper-focused nature like you said that's that's kind of what's happening
2: <laughs> mm. i think a lot of people like i i would refer to that as like having terminator vision i go really deep and then uh, into something and then i exhaust myself and then i'm done and then i'll stop mm. and my wife doesn't always understand that because like if i'm into mixed martial arts which i am I'm, I'm I'm watching, I go back and on eBay and buy the events on VHS tape back before it was so readily available. Oh, that's cool. Or if I'm into fishing, I'm reading the books and the magazines, watching the videos, I'm doing everything I can because it's like that deep focus in something else, a distraction, if you will. It just makes me a happier, richer person and I can't be work all the time. So I, yeah. I'm really connecting with what you're saying there. You and I are very similar, in fact, actually. <laughs> Yeah, you have a lot more hair than me, but we are very similar. Okay, so the- hey, we can change that. <laughs> <laughs> you have a pretty thick beard that's going on. Is this uh, just a result of the pandemic?
0: It it, it is. Um, it, it's interesting. February 2020, I launched a new course uh, as an email marketing course, and it went so well. Um, it, it was it was a lot of hard work, and I grew a little bit of a beard because of it. My team was joking; they're like, "Oh, it's your lucky launch beard." I'm like, okay, I'm gonna keep the lucky launch beard till the next launch. Well then the pandemic happened and I've just kept it ever since. And first of all, I didn't know as a half Filipino person that I could actually grow this thing. So I'm I'm keeping it while I have it because this is new for me. And <laughs> <laughs>
2: I don't know. <laughs> that is a righteous beard, my friend. I'm just saying Thank you. it is. Look it's at kind you. of insane. There's a little bit it of gray is. in there. Like yeah, yeah. I don't you know. just drop you on the set of Vikings and you're good to go, man. <laughs> Impressive, man. Beard game on point right now. Okay, that's a Thank distraction, you. but okay. Um, I'm sure if you just humor me here a little bit, I'm sure you've already talked about this and answered this a gazillion times, but I'm trying to make a, a complete story here. So I, I get your drive. I get your focus. You're into architecture. That all makes sense. The lead test is a difficult thing. You're like, hey, I'm an A student. I'm gonna help other people pass this thing. And But that's the next part that doesn't quite make sense because I don't put architect and internet entrepreneur together because I know a lot of architects too. This is strange. And so how does one go from, okay, I can help other people to actually getting this thing out there and getting people to see the value in it, getting the word out and turning it into business. Can you just give us like the high level summary? Here's
0: the part of architecture that I love the most. It wasn't the drafting of the blueprints. It wasn't the long hours, although I still did them. And I did them because the joy on the client's face When they saw the thing built, literally walking through it, you could see the client look up and look around and want to like run across the whole building because this thing that was like in planning mode for years often, they finally got to walk in and experience it. And then when the restaurant opens or when the casino opens or whatever to see their customers come in and people walking through to create experiences, that's the joy that comes with architecture for me is the end result and the client getting what it is that they wanted through all the problems, all the pains, all the, the, the having to cut budgets and everything finally we're here and everybody can enjoy it. As an entrepreneur, my client is, is the customer or the subscriber and I get to build things. I'm not building buildings, but I'm building courses. I'm building resources. I'm building something that then has them the ability to have something that they didn't have before And I get to design that. I get to design that experience. I get to design the story. I get to help them understand more about what it is that they actually want to, which in architecture, that's a big thing. Like, okay, client, you want this, but can you like elaborate on that? You don't even know what you want exactly. And that was one of the hardest parts working with clients as an architect It's like – trying to extract exactly what they want when they don't even know what they want, right? And same thing happens with business and entrepreneurship. I love that challenge, and I love the joy on a person's face when they launch their podcast and they see listeners. I love the joy that a person has when they launch their online course and they start to make money. I love the joy that when people put their with when, uh, their face on camera for the first time and publish it on YouTube despite being afraid, that they're getting comments like, wow, thank you for this, this is really helpful. So for me, I am architecting still in a way, and I do get to put, my own design into things it's just a different medium now it's not bricks and mortar it's ones and zeros
2: Mm. well said you just made my friend anna very happy because she's an architect and that was one of the questions she sent to me to ask you about connecting your architecture education to now your business so building experiences and communities and, and stories i get it now perfect sense thank you okay beautiful well all right so here's the part where i think When I do things a little differently. Normally, I just sit here and I'll talk to you and geek out over this and that. But since you have such a a huge tribe and uh, super fans, um, you know, uh, who are so in love with what it is you're doing, I just ask the fans, what kind of questions should I ask, Pat? So this is going to be a little different. We'll try it out. If it doesn't work, I like it. (laughs) You know, I think it's appropriate, right? Apropos here. So, Okay, so Joey Corman, who runs the School of Motion, he's asking School you motion, about yep. you know you know them about the impact that mastermind groups have had on your life and your career, uh, especially in the business and entrepreneur world. They're very popular, but in the world that we're in, the creative world, they're they're kind of weird and uh, misunderstood, I suppose. So, can you talk about your experiences with masterminds?
0: Yeah, I thought they were weird at first too. Um, okay. I was like, oh, like these people get together in like a secret society cult-like fashion, and they kind of like close the doors and talk about secret evil things, and that's kind of like what I had perceived masterminds to be like, because it almost sounds like evil, right? Mastermind something, right? It it almost has a (laughs) tone to it. Um, But then I started to uh, understand more about it after I got invited into one, and I got invited into one uh, from uh, a friend of mine. Her name is Jamie, uh, Jamie Masters, and it was her and four other people. Who we, we, the, the way these mastermind works, I mean, there's many different kinds and many different styles. The, the way the one the, the one that Jamie had me in is we meet for an hour every week, just virtually, you know, whether it's freeconferencecall.com com or whatever. And what happens is we round robin talk about our wins from the previous week, then we spend 45 minutes on one person helping them in some way, shape or form the rest of the group asking questions, being brutally honest, offering advice. And at the end, we talk about our goals, all of us, and then we do it again the next week with a different person in the hot seat. And I love that because every month it seemed that I get the opportunity to share something that was happening or a problem that I was having and I would have not just one person but like the entire room, all those bra- all that brain power focused on one person is so powerful um, and it's this sort of power of the group uh, thing. And that group which started in 2009, I am still in today. We still meet weekly every single week and it's been tremendous because over the years we've gotten to know each other more than just the business that we each had at the start, but we've all pivoted in one way or another. We've all been a part of the process with each other. And as much as I give value to others, I get more back, it seems, and I, th- I think everybody else feels that with, with the group. I uh, entered into another group with my buddy Cliff Ravenscraft after I started my podcast in 2011, and this group now has been around since then, and we meet weekly on Wednesdays. Jamie's group I meet on Mondays, another group I meet on Wednesday. Um, I've been a part of other groups, too, some that are in person, but I find that the ones in person, in fact, are often we just get distracted in some way and we just kind of have chats about whatever. And it's not, I like the structure and the format that keeps us going. And the cool thing is it's, it's virtual so I can be in the car or, 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 or be doing chores while still providing value. And Joey, I got, it's been absolutely life changing. Everything from helping me name my books to getting me out of some very depressing times to giving me inspiration when I was feeling down to helping me understand that I should um, celebrate something that I was already just kind of moving forward into the next thing so these these people become you know your advocates they become your support system um, and, and uh, oftentimes we don't get access to this level of support that we need from even our loved ones who just aren't in the same world and so I can rely and, and I can count on these people and they can count on me too and it's just this beautiful situation and no we don't do anything evil <laughs>
2: <laughs> okay a couple of questions for you there how, how big is the group and who determines who gets invited and if somebody is just toxic how do how do you determine who to get rid of group size 5 to 6 at
0: most i've mm-hmm. been in groups where there's like 20 or more and it's just like You never get a chance to get in the hot seat. Nobody really dives into a super deep relationship with each other. So five to six max, but you can have a group where literally it's just one other person and you just meet regularly and you kind of switch back and forth. Um, How do we let other people in? Um, Typically, if there is room for another person, we'll all sort of talk about it. We'll have a specific meeting about that and nominate people. And then what happens is we'll often uh, invite that single person in if we all agree. Letting that person know that you know this is sort of a trial run. We'd love you to join your group and see if it's the right fit for you. Not just you know you fitting into our group, but you know are we a good fit for you too? And so it kind of works both ways with no obligation, no commitment required. Just like hey, let's see if it's a good fit. If it's not, that's cool. But it could be something great. If not, well now we know. And um, we've done that a few times with with new people who have come in, and some are still in, and some have gone out. If a person becomes toxic, we're lucky enough that we haven't had anybody toxic, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, but you can kind of get a sense of the group and it's really important that everybody sort of remain, uh, understanding that, you know, it's for the benefit of the group. Right. And so I think that, you know, a couple times we've had a person who just wasn't really contributing very much. You know, I think they were perhaps feeling maybe more lower level. And I think it's important if you consider your level, whatever your level is at, you are maybe a five, right. Just out of 10, you want to connect with people that are maybe up to a seven and down to a three or four when you have like a 10 in your group and you're all fives it's like that person's never going to feel like they're getting value then and they're going to leave but the other way around if you have like a one if you will in terms of knowledge and contribution you're going to always feel like you're teaching them but then you're not getting anything back and it's just that honesty is really really important and we've had a time where we had a person who was just like you know what this is probably not a good fit do you agree they're like yeah i'm not feeling it either okay and then it just moved on right so we luckily haven't had like a toxic person, mm-hmm. but the biggest rule is like, um, you know, whatever is spoken about in the group doesn't leave the group and and you have to have that mutual understanding, right? Cause you're going to share some stuff that, you know, is, is, is very serious sometimes or, or secretive or sort of a proprietary, if you will. And, and, and that understanding is really important. So when you're trying to start a group, um, you know, it's hard to find an existing group, but you could start your own group, you know, it's best if with if it's with people who you already have some sort of relationship with. And in addition to that, it's going to take some time before you get to the super serious stuff um, because you're
2: sort of feeling each other out in the beginning still. Mm. Very good. Okay. That clears up a lot of things. So if you weren't sure about masterminds and the nefarious uh, means or goals <laughs> in, in <laughs> the world, <laughs> there you go. Maybe there are other evil groups, but this one, or just the structure, it's really, it sounds really, really solid way to learn from each other and, and what I got from it, from what you just said was it's good to have people you can learn from and people you can help. And it's a balance of that. So if somebody's mm-hmm. too far in one end of the spectrum, ultimately it's not going to work out well for them either way. They're going to feel like they don't belong. Right. Agreed. Agreed. And they don't need to be in the same niche as you either. Right. right. I, actually, I actually think it's better if
0: they're in different niches I have. Um, and I do flip flop between niche and niche just so you know, to cover both bases, but, uh, <laughs> In one of my groups, um, he's no longer in the group, but his name was Roderick Russell, and he is a, a hypnotist and a sword swallower. Wow! And you're like, what? What would you like? What value could you get from a hypnotist and a sword swallower, and what value could they get from you? Well, when I started speaking on stage in 2011, you can be sure Roderick was teaching me everything about stage presence and holding an audience and attention. It was some of the most valuable information I've ever received. And Roderick building his uh, online presence for his very offline brand got a lot of value from myself and the other group members too. So you can see how like different industries can actually help each other. Um, you don't just have to stick with your people.
1: That's really neat. Time for a quick break, but we'll be right back with more from Pat. Welcome back to our conversation with Pat FLAn.
2: Every time somebody sees somebody like yourself who's producing a lot of content on YouTube, multiple channels on Twitter and Instagram and podcasting, they assume Mm -hmm. then, no, you're an extrovert, you're all these kinds of things. So can you talk a little bit about how you might have dealt with the challenges of being a very public person? Sure. And and for me,
0: what helps me understand if a person is an introvert or extrovert is do being around groups of people and putting yourself out there take energy away from you, i.e. introvert, or do they give you energy, i.e. extrovert? And none of them are bad or good. It's just that's who you are and that's how it is. And for me, for example, when I am behind the microphone like here right now, I'm, I'm showing up. This is taking energy for me. That's not a bad thing, Chris. Don't feel bad about that. I just know that my way of recharging is literally locking myself in my room and watching, you know, Queen's Gambit or something, right? That's recharge for me versus some recharge is getting in front of people, right? And and so um, that that's something that helps me with the definition. But when you see me out there and I'm getting in front of people and I'm out there, um, what helps me is understanding why I'm doing that right? Despite it being difficult and not feeling natural, I do it because I know that when I help and serve others, it always comes back to me in some way, shape, or form. And I don't do it like, oh, I'm going to be on Chris's podcast, so maybe I'll get some more students coming into my courses. That's not what it is. I always just let nature take its course with relationships that I build, and now you and I are building a relationship together too, and that's that's a value to me as well. So I'm already getting value from, from this conversation. But for me, it's like I imagine especially when it comes to creating content, right? When I create content, cause there's people out there who need the help. If you imagine you're on like a boat and you see somebody drowning, they're outside of the boat, they're drowning. They, they need your help. Would you ever tell that person who you could literally just reach over and go, you know, hey, I'd love to help you, but I don't, I, I, I'm not, you know, an extrovert. <laughs> no, you wouldn't say that. Or, hey, I'd love to help you, but I've never done this before. Right or hey, I'd love to help you, but I'm gonna wait till my audience is a little bigger. Or hey, I'd love to help you, but um, you know, I, I I I don't know if that's gonna work or not. You help that person because they're there, and it's hard to really empathize with the people who are in our audiences often because it is virtual. It is sort of, you know, there's lots of layers of in between versus a person who's literally drowning next to you. And that's how I feel about the content that, that I create and the solutions that I offer. It's it's like, y- if you have the ability to help someone, if you have a cure for a disease, isn't it not your obligation? Is it not your responsibility to get out there and, and, and share it with somebody, right? So I feel like if I have this fear, this resistance, this doubt, um, ultimately, it's almost kind of selfish if I'm like, yeah, I'm gonna let that get in the way of, of actually helping others. So for me, what drives me is, the service to other people, and for mm. me as an Enneagram Three, I know that to be very true with what motivates me. This is this so much in fact that something that helps me when I'm down is I have a shoebox, I have multiple shoeboxes full of thank you notes from people. And almost weekly, I go in there, and I don't, I don't go in there and I read it. And I'm like, yeah, look how awesome I am. Ha! <laughs> I helped this person. <laughs> I'm like, I need energy right now to remind myself why I need to kind of do this really hard thing that I'm about to do, right? And so let me just remember the fact that I have helped people before. And then if I stop myself because I'm fearful, because I'm scared, because I've never done it before, because I don't think I'm qualified, well, what if I did that with this person? Or what if I let that get in the way with this this person? So that, that's what drives me more than anything.
2: Mm-hmm. Intellectually, I get it. You're here to serve other people. Don't focus on yourself and your ego and you're gonna be just fine. Emotionally, there's the battle that's going on in my head and my heart. And I would like to know if there if you could share a time in which you' were backstage and it, this whole thing didn't go well. Was there a moment like that when you you went out there and you're like, i I, I wasn't able to win the intellectual or logical battle that time, and I'll do better <laughs> next time
0: i mean, there's there's multiple cases like that. And I mm-hmm. think a lot of that happens because and and in fact, now i'm that I'm thinking about it a lot of that is me looking at the things I did wrong instead of looking at the things that I did right. And that takes me back to the 3% that I had gotten wrong, right? So I am my worst enemy. And there are many times where I'll come off stage and I'll remember that I forgot to tell a particular story or I know that I missed the timing and the punchline of this very important lesson. And that's literally all I can think about because that's how I'm trained, right? And how I'm conditioned. But then again, what helps me is I will go to the audience later and, and talk to people to confirm that at least they got some value. Right. And so after a talk, I'll be out in the hallway and just talking to people, like, you know, hey, what was the most helpful part of that for you? I do that also because I want to know what the most helpful thing is so I can do more of that. Um, but I'm very fortunate that I haven't had like a, 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 like a fall flat of my face situation yet. And I think that's partly because I am in the realm of trying to still be a little bit perfect, so much to a point where I kind of overprepare. So if anything, I'm a little bit too stiff because I'm following a script, therefore not connecting with the audience as much as I should versus forgetting what to say, right? And so I hope that makes sense. I'm I'm not trying to back out of, of a moment that maybe went terribly wrong. I mean, there's been many moments that have been terribly wrong in many cases, like trying to start a software company for the wrong reason and that losing $15,000 because I took the wrong approach and was too afraid to share and validate that idea, um, to other moments where, you know, I've written or filmed videos that I thought were going to be the most viral video in the world. And then it completely falls flat, which I know any YouTuber can really relate to. And then like the next day you just spend like literally 30 minutes on a video and it goes viral and you're just like, why am I
2: even preparing? And this doesn't make any (laughs) sense. Um, The universe works in strange ways sometimes it does it does it's it's like it can't be predictable so you try and you show up every day and some days it works better than and some days you you learn a lesson okay i don't want to manufacture false drama uh so if there wasn't one that's fine It, it is consistent with who you are and who you present yourself to be is this straight a student who's always going to do his best to prepare and preparation is one of those things that prevents those disasters from happening and yeah, you, you may be a little bit too rehearse or a little tight, but better that yeah. than to show up on stage and be stumbling your way through. Now, as, as a, as a late, late to the game speaker, public speaker, I've seen, I mean, I've done it myself, but I've seen people just crash on stage and I was thinking, oh my God, how did we get here? And what must they be feeling? Because I'm feeling terrible for them. Here's one mm-hmm. little quick example. Uh, early on in my speaking thing. I was just a nervous wreck. I'm in the green room with other speakers. And there was a very extroverted um, uh, person, a female. And she was just like, oh, I'm, I got this. I'm like, okay, I, I, please don't talk to me. I, I have to like go through this thing in my head. Don't even make eye contact with me. I just need to be here alone. I go out, I do my talk. I'm totally fine. She goes out very confident, starts doing her thing. And then she blanks. Like literally, I've never seen anybody do this. She just went blank. And she started and she stopped. And the whole audience was just like, we're just we're going to give her space. And she just total train wreck right then and there. Wow. Meltdown. And I was like, wow, this is uncomfortable. And eventually she went, she got back on, but I have no idea now because it was so uncomfortable for everybody that like that minute, like they say, that feels like an hour. It yeah, definitely yeah. felt that way. And I wasn't even Dude. on stage. So maybe I mean, preparation. There,
0: there, there is something to say for her with being maybe too overly confident yeah. like we were talking about. Um, your story about the green room actually reminded me of a time that I feel like I failed not necessarily on stage, but it was actually backstage. Mm-hmm. Um, and this this has to do with my introvertness. So maybe I can tie in the story okay. of, of, of a failure. Uh, I went to speak at a Dave Ramsey event, which is really great. Entre leadership in front of thousands. I, I presented about super fans, in fact, which was really cool. And before the talk, um, you know, I was really focused on my on my presentation. I was going through the iterations of the intro, as I always do. Yep. And in the green room walks Simon Sinek, who I admire like crazy. Mm-hmm. You know, start with why, the whole thing and he's there and he's just sipping on some some soda water or something, and in my head, I'm like, it would be amazing to meet him. I should just go up to him. 15 minutes go by, I'm called to go up on stage, never spoke a word to Simon because I was way too afraid. I was in my own head. I wasn't following the advice I give others, which is the three second rule. Don't give yourselves more than three seconds to do the thing that you know could be great and Again, what's the worst that could have happened? I just put him on a pedestal, and I was like, Mm -hmm. I'm too below you. I'm not worthy. (laughs) I am, you know, and there's no reason. Like, looking back, I'm like, what was I thinking? Because I should have at least thanked him for what he's taught me. I didn't even have the opportunity to do that. I got in my own way of actually thanking somebody who's had an impact on my life because I was too afraid of looking bad. I was too afraid of being too below a person and – i just ah man everybody can relate to to
2: this come on everybody can (laughs) relate to this so did you get another chance to to speak to him at a different conference okay so now you know what to do next time you see him yeah i i I stopped with why that's what that's what happened there (laughs) 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 well played well played okay (laughs) Let's talk about content because you're okay. you're a beast, uh, especially on your podcast. Uh, I, I lost count, but you're, you're hundreds of episodes deep into your podcast. So Darshan is asking this question. When you've been doing this for so long, um, has there been a moment where you thought about quitting and just stopping?
0: Yes, in fact. Um, and this was early on. Um, so we're 1,700 episodes in across all the podcasts, so quite a bit. But around episode uh, eighty or so, you know, it was at the point at which you know, after doing this for a year and a half or so, it started to feel like a chore. And yeah. while I was still the one editing and doing the show notes and stuff, you know, it was just like, wow, there's so much time involved. This was before I finally had the courage to finally hire somebody, and then realize that other people can do that stuff faster and better than me. Um, anyway, I was I was in I was at the point where I was like, you know what, the blog is still getting more traffic. Um, Search engines are so much easier to find content than, like, podcast directories. And it's still kind of the case today. But I think I'm going to give up on the show. Like, it's it's done its thing, but it's just, like, so many hours of work. And it's the same audience size every time. Well, kind of around this time, just by happenstance, I get an email from a guy in Poland. And his name is Michal, M-I-C-H-A-L, even though I called him Michael for years. Um, Michal sent me an email, and the t- the subject line was... Please read, Pat, your podcast saved my life. Mm. That's a really good subject line if you want me to open an email. I'm not saying just send me emails that say I saved your life, but I will open it if that's (laughs) the subject line. And I open this email and it's like 50 pages long. I mean, it's not that long, but it's it's this guy's life story. Mm -hmm. And I'm so grateful that he mentioned that the podcast had something to do with it because normally I don't read emails that long. So, I'm reading this story, and he's telling the story about how he had a terrible accident in a snowboarding accident. Actually, he broke both of his legs. He literally included the x rays and everything with like bolts in it to hold them up because he was just, he had a terrible accident. And as a result, couldn't work, let his family down, was totally depressed. And on his bed while recovering, he discovered my podcast. And he said that, to make a long story short, he had discovered a podcast that I had where I was talking about setting goals. And when you set goals, I recommend you set goals that are Nearly impossible. Like shoot for the moon, because at least if even if you don't get to the moon, you're still in in, in the sky in space and space and flying high. So he decided with two broken legs that he was going to run a marathon in Warsaw, Poland, 26.2 miles in about a year and a half. He was going to recover. And I was like, a year and a half? Like you discovered my podcast a year and a half ago? Like this was kind of around the time I started. So he like I didn't even know this person existed or was listening to my show, despite all these things happening. Anyway, I scroll down to the bottom. There's this image of him running on two feet, across the finish line in Poland, holding up a sign in Polish. I don't know what it says. So he translates it for me. It says, thank you to God. Thank you to Gabby and his, his, his kids. And then in the corner, it said, thank you, Pat Flynn. Wow. And I'm like breaking down while mm. reading this email, like just like raindrops on the keyboard. I'm just, that was the moment I was like, there's no way I can stop this podcast because I didn't even know this guy existed until he sent me this email. Who knows how many other stories or people like that who are being affected by this content. And I'm letting the fact that, number one, I think this is a chore get in the way, again, to my point earlier of me being able to connect with and help influence people in this way. Like I was able to change this person's life. He went on to become a podcaster himself, he had the number one podcast in Poland for a while, has written several best-selling books. And what's interesting now is he's shared with me, uh, because he tells this story, he shares with me that there's people crossing the finish line of their marathons with now his name on it. And it's just like this ripple effect. It's it's just like, wow. Like imagine not throwing these rocks and creating these ripples. Like I have to keep going. So that was the, the one time that I was close to giving up on it. And... I've tripled
2: down since then because because of these kinds of stories. Mm. I got some chills from you telling that story, and I'm not sure if I'm reading into the lens here, but I think you got a little emotional there too, just telling that.
0: Dude, every time I've told that story several times, and every time, yeah. just because beca- I remember how close I was to giving up on it, and just God sent me this email, and mm. Michal had had gone through this terrible time for me to have the ability to just realize that this podcast was more powerful than I ever thought it could be. Um.
2: Yeah. So in a, it is a very strange. Uh, this is probably like one of those strange movie scripts, like uh, *Tenet* or something. Mm-hmm. Your past episode saves his future self, and his current self keeps your f- current self t- into the future. Dude, right? You're speaking my language, *Back to the Future* fan. Opening, I mean, it's, so, it's yes. a little complicated there, but <laughs> it's kind of like if you didn't do that thing in the beginning, it doesn't hit him. He's not then not able to send you the message in the future where you're current self at that point needed to hear this because mm-hmm. it's like, you're like, God, this is a, just a grind doing this. Like, what am I doing? Right. And then somebody dude. tells you what you're doing is important and it matters. And so them paying it forward to someone else, but just sending it back to you. That's what is so wonderful. That's crazy.
0: dude. It is crazy. Um, and it just makes me realize that the, how many more of out there are there mm-hmm. that would have never sent me that email.
2: Mm.
0: Right? There's, no, there's no way I could, I could stop.
2: I think that's the message that creative people need to hear. And I, I use the, the term creative like in its most broadest, uh, expansive and inclusive definition that you do something and you think it doesn't matter, that it'll never affect anybody or you, who are you to be doing this thing in the first place. But mm-hmm. it just takes out really literally that one person who needed to hear it at that moment in time you may never hear from them or you might hear from them in a year and a half. But that's why you do it. I mean, we're kind of connected in this this thing, this the human race. And we, we can't forget that. It's just not about our solitary existence. And I love that. Okay, here's another question for you. Okay. I, I think you're going to like this one. This one is from Burhan Patel. I know I screwed that up. He wants to know how you can keep up with doing daily live streams. And they look so scripted And so well-prepared. The question is, are you human? I'm
0: definitely human, trust (laughs) me. Um, So I've been going live on YouTube uh, today. uh, It was uh, day 327 in a row uh, for one hour each day. I started this in March of 2020 after the pandemic and after the lockdown started. And I showed up just one day because I wanted to help people who were struggling with what was going to happen with businesses during this time. So I showed up to just provide some help and support the one day turned into two days, turned into a week, turned into a month. And then I've just been like, you know what, let's just go for a full year and see what happens. Because first of all, I don't think we're going to get out of this anytime soon. But secondly, I want to provide some sort of stability for people and something for people to look forward to every day. And to the note of it feeling scripted, um, number one, it's not scripted. I do have some thoughts about what topic we're going to talk about. And I just tell stories, right? I just tell stories. I can't not know the story that I've lived about these things that I'm talking about, right? So I just tell these stories like I'm telling stories here. Mm -hmm. These aren't scripted, but these are stories that I've lived through. I'm not pretending to share something that I don't know about or trying to be somebody else but me. So that helps. The more that you can step into who you are and you're sharing experiences that you've been through, the more likely it is that you are to tell the story as if you're in a coffee shop with a friend. And that's the kind of feeling I want to offer to my audience who's watching me, who's hearing me teach through stories. And that's what I love about podcasting and the live stream format is I can teach, but telling stories to support that, not only allow yourself to more easily get into the lesson and prove it, but also provides context, it provides relatability, and it also is more entertaining, right, when you tell a story. Um Going live daily has been interesting because I just try to reduce the friction as much as possible. It's a habit that I've built now. And part of habits, as we know in uh, Atomic Habits by James Clear, is like, let's remove as much friction as possible to just get the thing done. So in order for me to go live, I just sit down in this chair that I'm in right now and press a button. Like, it's literally that easy now. Um, Otherwise, if I had to set up every day, I wouldn't do it, right? Uh, So... Again, also considering who shows up every day, and I've gotten to know those people by name, and um, you know, know them as a friend now. Uh, it's been amazing to see you know a few hundred people every day come in and make me part of their part of their routine, and you know, it'd be bittersweet after the year is over because I'm going to go for three sixty five, and we're going to celebrate with a three hundred sixty five minute stream on that last day on March fifteenth. But. Um, it's been a lot of time, and I know I can use that time probably to create more pre-recorded videos that will help me reach more people on YouTube, which is kind of the plan for the rest of the year after the after the the year is up. So I'll be trying mm-hmm. to double the size of the channel on YouTube through uh, the lives haven't been doing a lot for growing the show. They've yeah. been a lot for growing the relationship. But for growing yeah. the show and reaching new people, it's not really doing
2: anything for that. And that's okay. That's not the purpose, right. okay. so on on that subject of YouTube and content creation, is it safe to assume because you're doing the live stream an hour a day that you're not doing other kinds of content, or are you? Yeah, I'm not. Yeah, I, th- yeah. it's it, a lot, right? When you say yes to one thing, you're also saying no to something else,
0: right. So, if you look at my backlog in YouTube, there's very few pre recorded videos that have come out, right? The only videos that I've been able to come out with are videos that I actually am purposefully filming the video live while live <laughs> and then i'm right. taking and extracting a part of that and making that a video so that's definitely going to change but um it's been a lot of fun and, I, and i've gotten to know the community really well and it's been something that honestly lights me up in the morning every single day and, and and i know it does that for others too
2: yeah and then on the other thing that you touched on real quickly is that if you do live streams very rarely is it going to be the thing that grows your channel it is difficult i mean people on youtube i think are mostly just in time learning So they need something highly searchable, super quick. Uh, It's one topic and I'm ready to go. And live streams are a whole different thing. I think there was a moment in YouTube where live streams were getting a lot of attention and then they decided we're abandoning that. And so you actually might be doing harm to your channel, as I've heard from some YouTube experts. I've heard that too. Live streams can hurt your subscription uh, because it's like people aren't tuning in. This is not working. Yeah. Right. So, but it's a commitment and it's impressive. So you're almost there. I mean, we're in, in a blink of an eye, it's going to be March and you're going to be celebrating your 365th episode. So impressive. Yeah, it's so, crazy. So this is Thanks weekends Chris. too, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah weekends too. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so here's, um. let's see here. Here's your next question. And, you know, if you don't want to do this one, this one's okay because sometimes these kind of questions annoy me. But here we go. This one's coming from Frederic Hill. And his question is, What has been some of your most memorable moments uh, doing your podcast?
0: Episode 121 with Shane and Jocelyn Sams was when I heard the story about how they first discovered the podcast. Um, Shane, who lives in Kentucky, he was mid mowing his lawn, stopped mowing the lawn after hearing an episode of the podcast, went to his wife, Jocelyn, and said, Hey, we are going to start an online business. And she said, You're crazy. They have a multi-million dollar business now as a result mm-hmm. of that story. Episode 51 with Tim Ferriss. How I fanboyed for 10 minutes over Tim Ferriss and <laughs> forgot that I was recording a podcast. Um, episode 275 with uh, three people, in fact, three students of my podcast who told these beautiful stories about why they started the show. But then without even asking, gave me the best, and most authentic testimonials for the podcast course that they took. That then accounted for over $150,000 worth of sales from that podcast episode specifically. Um, there was an episode of the podcast, I can't remember the number, unfortunately, but my kids were on it, in fact. I interviewed my wife, in fact, too, and she's very, very behind the scenes. But it was really cool to get the whole family involved, and that was a special moment in time where I can go back and listen to just how high all the kids' voices were and how cute they were. Mm. They're still cute, just not as cute. Um,
2: right.
0: <laughs> yeah, so those were some standout episodes for me.
2: Now... Uh- when you were rattling that off, I was thinking, I know this. Was this included in your book, Superfans? Because uh, I think you get that specific sometimes in your stories. I'm i like, wow, how does he know was. what episode? Yeah. Because yeah. as you're yeah. saying yeah. that, it, it felt remember. really familiar to me. Okay. Beautiful. All right. Like, I can't remember what I did last week. So to ask me one of those kinds of questions, like, forget <laughs> it. It's not going to work. Okay. Here's a question looking towards the future. I'm kind of being mindful of time. We're almost out of time. So... All right. So here's the question, and then we'll probably wrap on this. Seeing that you're such a prolific content creator and been doing podcasts for a really long time, I wanted to get your your input, your opinion on audio platforms like Clubhouse and soon-to-be Twitter spaces where it feels like a podcast, but it has a component of live, and it's very community-driven. And do you have thoughts on that? I mean, it's amazingly powerful. Clubhouse, especially when you can consider that you
0: hear often that people are on there for hours a day, that tells you something, right? Mm -hmm. I think a person's average time on Clubhouse is one hour and 30 minutes. We haven't seen anything like that since podcasting. So it's really a nice extension, especially when it comes to connecting with another community and connecting with your community. I think it's a great place for researching and um, just having conversations and being more open. Again, that live feel combined with podcasting, just like that lights me up. But like with anything, I think we have to create boundaries. We have to be careful. We have to, uh, you know, have purpose when we go into them. And I think that's the biggest thing. But I think we're starting a new revolution of like different ways that people can get access. And that's that's really exciting.
2: Mm-hmm. OK, so, Pat, thanks for being my guest today. If you guys uh, want to find out more information about Pat, where where should they go?
0: Uh, you can check me out on my YouTube channel, youtube.com slash Pat Flynn. And of course, smartpassiveincome.com or at Pat Flynn on most uh, social media channels.
2: Beautiful. Thanks so much for giving us your time today. Thank you, Chris. This was awesome. Thank you.
0: Hey, my name is Pat Flynn, and you're listening to The Future.
1: Thanks for joining us this time. If you haven't already, subscribe to our show on your favorite podcasting app and get a new, insightful episode from us every week. The Future Podcast is hosted by Chris Doe and produced by me, Greg Gunn. Thank you to Anthony Barrow for editing and mixing this episode. And thank you to Adam Sanborn for our intro music. If you enjoyed this episode, then do us a favor by rating and reviewing our show on Apple Podcasts. It'll help us grow the show and make future episodes that much better. Have a question for Chris or me? Head over to thefuture.com slash chris and ask away. We read every submission and we just might answer yours in a later episode. If you'd like to support the show and invest in yourself while you're at it, visit thefuture.com. You'll find video courses, digital products, and a bunch of helpful resources about design and creative business. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time.